Amen. Thank you for leading us in worship, and what a joy to share in baptism today. And now we get to look at God's Word together. I'm sharing a series of sermons from Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is about how we're supposed to live as followers of Jesus. When you confess your faith in Jesus as Lord, how are you supposed to live? Well, we're learning that Jesus tells us we must live differently. Uh, We can't live like everybody else. He holds us to a higher standard. We're to be like him, to be like the Father. And we're in the middle of Matthew 5 where he gives us six examples of what the different life will look at. In previous weeks, we've already looked at the first three of these six examples that we have to be different in regard to anger, different in regard to lust, different in regard to divorce and remarriage. And now today, we're going to look at the last three of these. So we're going to kick it into high gear today and look at the last three of these examples that Jesus gives us about how to live differently. In each of these, Jesus follows the same pattern. He contrasts their current interpretation of the Old Testament with his teaching which goes to the heart of the Old Testament law, which tells the intent, the root of it, the direction it was going. And so Jesus is sharing that we have to live differently from what it's been in the past. So let's jump in and let's look at these three. First of all, Jesus says that if we're going to be his followers, we need to live differently in regard to keeping our promises and telling the truth. Beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. So that's a paraphrase of the Old Testament in a couple of different places in the law where it said, if you make a vow in the name of the Lord that you must keep it. But now they were always looking for loopholes, so here's what they did. They said, so if you didn't say God's name in your oath or your vow, then you didn't have to keep it. See what they're doing there? It's sort of like the old game of Simon Says. Do you ever play Simon Says? Simon Says, touch your ears. Simon Says, touch your nose. Touch your belly, up, didn't say Simon says. Well, they're sort of like that about these oaths. They said, I promise you, I swear to you on the throne that I will do this. And then you don't want to do it, and you say, ah, didn't say the name of the Lord. The Bible says, keep your oath, sewer in the name of the Lord. You see what they're doing there? So what they did, they developed a whole ranking or hierarchy of oaths that if you swore by this, it was binding. But if you swore by this, it was not hardly as binding. Or this, it wasn't binding at all. Let's jump for a minute to uh, Matthew 23, and we'll see Jesus responding to what was going on there. Matthew 23, beginning verse 16. Woe to you blind guides. You say if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. You see what they were doing there? Looking for these loopholes. 
So go back to Matthew 5 with that background and hear what Jesus said. Verse 34, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to live differently. You're not looking for loopholes. You just tell the truth and keep your promises and let your yes be yes and your no, no. Isn't that a word we need to hear in a day of fake news and alternative facts and all this other stuff? Jesus is saying followers of, of him can't engage in any kind of loopholes. We just let your yes be yes and your, and your no, no. You ever say, cross my heart, I hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, you know? Why do we say something like that? Because we just want to bolster our truth. I swear on a stack of Bibles as if one Bible would not be enough, but a stack. I'd really tell the truth if it was a stack of Bibles. You know? Jesus is saying, be known for your truthfulness. You're going to keep your promises if you follow me. Now, does this passage mean, where Jesus says don't take an oath, that it's wrong for us to take an oath in a court of law? Some Christian groups say, take that uh, that way. Uh, the Quakers and Mennonites would not swear an oath in court because of that. I don't think that's what Jesus intended there, because if you look at Jesus when he was on trial, let me read to you Matthew chapter 26. I respect those groups, but I, I don't think that that's necessary. In Jesus, in Matthew 26 Beginning in verse uh, 63, it says, At his trial, Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the Son of God. You've said so, Jesus replied, but I say to, to all of you, from now on you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. So Jesus responded to that oath that he was was put under I don't think it means that if you go to court and they ask you to raise your right hand and, and swear to tell the truth that, that you don't have to do that but but you get the intent of what Jesus is saying here the intent is we're not going to be people looking for loopholes we're not going to be people who are trying to finagle at it we're going to tell the truth and we're going to keep our promises let's go to the second example in our three that Jesus is sharing here about living differently and Jesus says next you're going to have to live differently in this matter of retaliation, of taking revenge. Beginning in verse 38, it says, You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And that's a quotation from the Old Testament. It does indeed say that in several places in the Old Testament. And what that law was doing was limiting retaliation. So that it's the principle of the punishment must fit the crime. That is, if somebody knocked your tooth out, you couldn't kill them or destroy their whole family. It could not escalate. There had to be the punishment had to be limited to a monetary, uh, what that tooth is worth or whatever. It was a limiting of that retaliation. Jesus says in verse 39, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. So Jesus is saying there must not be any retaliation or revenge at all. Well, how is that not contradicting the Old Testament? Here's the deal. Suppose you're driving along and you see a sign that says Nashville 
50 miles. And then you drive a little farther and you see a sign that says Nashville, 10 miles. Those two signs are different because they're in different places, but they're leading you in the same direction, right? That's the way it is with the law and the teaching of Jesus. Jesus doesn't contradict the law. The law is, lim is leading us toward the character of the Father. And so in its provisional way, in a stopgap way, it limited retaliation. Now Jesus is leading us even farther in the same direction to say, but the full will of the Father is you don't take revenge because there is a God who is a just a judge and you leave retaliation to him so there's not any revenge this is tough to do isn't it because when your wife yells at you what do you want to do you want to yell right back when your boss does something that or a co-worker undermines you at work then you figure out how can I get back at them I fight fire with fire we tend to give in kind but we're gonna to have to be different folks we're going to have to trust that there is a God who will punish evil unless there's repentance. Every evil will be punished. And we're going to have to live in the spirit of non-retaliation, that we're not going to strike back. And so many of our, our feuds and our problems just escalate because we one-up one another, whether it's in the workplace or it's in a, a marriage that is deteriorating and heading to divorce. And we just, we just we go at one another and we one-up and, and he does this, so I'm going to get back at him by doing this and we use every weapon at our disposal and Jesus is saying you follow me you're gonna to have to trust that there's a God who judges and you're not gonna retaliate now he gives us four examples here and these are some of the toughest parts of the whole sermon remember we said this is gonna be gonna be tough buckle up here uh, well here's some of the toughest part we're gonna to try to understand these first of all if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn to them the other cheek also an insult. So if somebody insults you, that's, you know, that's an insult. In, insult. You're not going to insult back. And second, he says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over to him your coat as well. So they wore two basic garments, a tunic or a shirt, and then they wore a cloak or a coat over that. That's the two things that men wore. The Old Testament law said that if you took anybody's cloak in, uh, in surety and pledge, you had to give it back to them by nightfall because for poorer people, that was their sleeping bag, that was their blanket, their, their cloak kept them warm at night. So even the law said you can't keep their cloak overnight, but Jesus is just going wild here, just getting radical. And he says, if anybody sues you and they take your shirt, just give them your cloak too. Next example he says is, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Uh, and you remember when Jesus was carrying the cross and he fell and couldn't carry it all the way to Calvary because of the terrible beating he had received and so the Romans conscripted a man by the name of Simon to help carry the cross. He's just standing there in the crowd watching all of a sudden he's forced to carry that cross. They could, could do that and he's saying when you're conscripted to do something like that for the government that wants you to do you just say, hey, you got anything else I could carry for you? Could I go a little farther for you? I had a guy, a friend one time who was a pastor. Everybody was complaining about taxes. And so he sent his income tax in and wrote a note and said, I am glad to help support the U.S. government. And if you need any more, just let me know and I'll send it to you. I said, you're crazy. But then when you get to thinking about it, he's sort of crazy like Jesus, you know. 
That, that's how radical this is. And then the fourth example is give to anyone who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. What are we supposed to make of all this? How do we really apply that in our lives? Are we literally supposed to do that? I, I don't think so. I don't want to water down Jesus' teaching, but I want us to grapple with how to apply it. I don't think that it means I'm supposed to give my car away if some guy asks for it or my house away or, or anything else. In fact, in, in 2 Thessalonians, the Bible said to the church, if anyone will not work, he should not eat. Any able-bodied person in your congregation who's gonna, not going to work, you don't help him. So if the Bible doesn't contradict itself, I don't think that's the literal meaning. Does this mean that you don't resist an evil person? Somebody hits you on one cheek, turn the other. Does it mean that self-defense or that serving in the police or the military is wrong? Some Christians have taken it that way. Tolstoy, the great Russian writer who's a Christian, spent a lot of time on the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, you don't, you don't ever, ever resist. There shouldn't be any police. Uh, Christians shouldn't be in, in, the, in the military. But Jesus himself evaded. He didn't always turn the other cheek. Let me show you a couple examples. In uh, John chapter 8, verse 59, it says, um, at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. He wasn't afraid to die, but it wasn't time for him to die, and he wasn't going to go by their agenda. And then in John chapter 10, verse uh, 39, again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So I don't, I don't think Jesus is literally, every time somebody assaults him, he's saying, okay, assault me all you want to. Uh, so what then does this mean? I think Jesus is using hyperbole here, that is deliberate exaggeration to make a point. What Jesus is saying, you follow me, you've got to be radically non-retaliatory. Everybody else is going to sue the pants off people, you're not supposed to do that. If you're in a lawsuit that's legitimate, but you're to look at, at am I retaliating? You're not to insult people, you're to... You're to trust God, and you're to be radical in generosity. When Jesus says, give to anyone who asks you, he's saying, you follow me. There needs to be a radical generosity, a wild generosity about you. You get what Jesus is saying there? Let me show you an example of it in his own life. Matthew chapter 26, verse 67, Jesus was on trial, and it says, they spit in his face and struck him with their fists, and others slapped him. You think about that. Jesus is the one who spoke the worlds into existence. He could have disintegrated them on the spot. The Bible says he could have called legions of angels to help him. And what restraint, what non-retaliation, what bearing of insult. And later, Peter would write about that verse and about that experience in 1 Peter 2.23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Folks, in our nation, we're really divided right now, aren't we? And there are people marching, and there are going to be a lot of people tomorrow on President's Day. Not my President's Day and all that stuff. And, you know, and, and, and so we're, we're tempted to be sucked into all that and retaliate and to, and to post things and to say things and retaliation. And Jesus says you're going to have to act differently. Yeah, there's going to be people that insult you and have bad things to say. 
And it doesn't mean that there is not room for self-defense and the role of government and of, of the military, and we thank God for our police, but it means that you're not going to take that on yourself. You're not going to undermine, you're not going to insult, you're going to show that you're like the Father. Well, there's a third example we're going to look at today, back in Matthew 5. And here Jesus is saying you've got to be different in the way you respond to your enemies. Matthew 5, 43, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the first part of that phrase is in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, 18. So that's a correct quote from the Old Testament. But the second phrase is not anywhere in the Bible, and hate your enemy. That's their addition. That's their current interpretation. That's their saying, so the Bible says we have to love our neighbor. That means we don't have to love anybody who's not our neighbor, and we can hate our enemies. You get the idea of what they're saying here? Jesus says in verse 44, but I tell you, love your enemies. Man, this is hard, isn't it? Jesus is saying you're going to have to respond differently to the people who don't like you. So you need to think about your enemies right now. Oh, come on. Yeah, you've got some. Think about your enemies, people who oppose you at work, people who have made it hard for you, people that you're holding something against. Jesus says, love them. What do what I do if I love them? Well, the next phrase says, and pray for those who persecute you. That's radical. You ought to make a prayer list of people that you have a hard time getting along with, people that irritate you, people that are opposed to you. Make a prayer list and pray for them. Don't pray judgment upon them. Pray as Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed when he was on the cross about those who were killing him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. Now, that forgiveness is only going to come through their repentance and faith in him, but he's praying for that. He's praying a good future for the people who killed him. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, learned from Jesus to live differently, and Stephen, as they were stoning him, prayed, Father, do not hold this to their account. Wow, that's, that's different living, isn't it? That's radical living. When you, when you wish for the same Repentance and faith of those who oppose you, you want a good and eternal future for them. That's what Jesus said to do. And he says, the reason is that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Different from the world, so you can be like God. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You ever thought about that? God sends his common grace, his blessings indiscriminately, doesn't he? You know, if some of you were in charge, that rain, rain, you know, it, it would, you, we would be discriminated. But God, who's rich in grace, he does good things for bad people. And he tells us to be like him, so it's okay to do good things for bad people. Do we get that? It's okay to, to do good things to enemies. It's okay to be nice to a Muslim or nice to somebody whose lifestyle is very different from the Christian lifestyle. It's, it's, it's good to be nice to people. Jesus said, love your enemies and be like your Father who gives common grace to all people. And He, even those who oppose Him, He allows it to rain on their fields. 
and the sun to shine on them. It doesn't mean you approve of your enemy's philosophy or lifestyle when you are good to them. It means that you are reflecting to them the goodness of the Father who you'll be like. We've got to be different in the way we treat people who oppose us. Because he says in verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that. We've got to be different from unbelievers. And it's, yeah, it's not, it's good to love everybody in this church family and to greet one another when you have the greeting time, but that's pretty easy, isn't it? It's pretty easy to love people who are like us, but to be like God, we love people who are unlike us. And then he caps it off by saying, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Really? Be perfect? He says, that's where you're headed perfection we're going to follow Jesus we've got to live differently now when you when you read these things it, it can be a little bit overwhelming right you think man how am I going to do all that how am I going to keep my promises and not retaliate and love my enemies I and if you read it wrong it, it seems just like he's just telling us more stuff to do uh, how can we do that I, I want to I got a I got I like low-tech visual aids, so I got a low-tech visual aid to share with you here today, maybe help us understand a little bit. So I'm going to show you a magic trick that I learned. I've got an ordinary glove here, nothing in the glove, okay? So I'm going to put this glove right here where you can see it and try to prop it up a little bit, okay? Now, on the count of three, if this works, on the count of three, I'm going to make that glove wave at you. Watch the fingers of the glove to move back and forth, okay? You ready? One. <laughs> Two. Three. How about that? Thank you. Thank you. You didn't think the glove was going to wave by itself, did you? Gloves don't wave by themselves. But if you put a living hand in a glove, a glove can wave. This is you. This is Christ in you. This is the Christian life. You read the Sermon on the Mount without understanding this principle, and it will be overwhelming. But when you understand that if you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ, then he comes in you. The Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the faith. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the Christian life is that there is a living hand inside you that enables you to love your enemies and enables us not to return insult for insult 
and enables us to keep our promises even when it would be easier to wiggle out of it. And so the Christian life is not just the raw command, but it is the command to be different plus the power, the presence of Christ who will come in you in the person of the Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Him. And so I am not perfect yet, but I am headed toward perfection. I am a signpost on the way, and one day when I am glorified, which is a result of justification, those whom he justified, he also glorified, and when we're glorified, we will be perfect as the Father is perfect in heaven. We're not there yet. You might be 50 miles from Nashville, or you might be 10 miles from Nashville, but the signs are pointing that you are going to be perfect because Christ is in you, so let's get headed in that direction and begin to reflect the character of the Father and we can do it because Christ lives inside of us. Let's pray together. Oh Lord Jesus, help us to be different. Our temptation is to be like everybody else and you've called us to be different, to be like the Father and we need your power. Some of us are thinking about specific situations in our lives where these examples apply. And we're asking right now, God, help us to be different so we can be like you, O Father. And O Jesus, give us your strength and your power that we can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Lord, I pray for those who are without that power, those who do not have Christ living within them. They may have a form of religion, they may have no religion, but they don't have that living relationship. I pray that right now they would say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need you as my Savior. I invite you, I open the door of my heart for you to come into my life. Empower me and live your life through me, I pray. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to have a time of commitment. If